Amen. Wow, huh? And that great truth. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. What a beautiful Easter Sunday morning it is, huh? And uh, I want to thank uh, Dan Tarr, who organized our breakfast this morning, and his crew. Couldn't have done it without all that crew. And uh, Shirley Berger was right in the middle of it. It's good to see Shirley out. And, and uh, uh, what, a, what a great start. Uh, we kind of went that a little bit. We moved in downstairs. We actually thought it was supposed to be in the lower 30s t- this morning, so we, we didn't tempt it, but it was a, it's been a beautiful morning, isn't it? And uh, not just because of the temperature and the sun, but because it's Easter. And Jesus is alive. What a, what a great time. And, and to be here this morning in person, last year was virtual Easter. I'm telling you what, Dan, those eggs and sausage tasted a whole lot better than that virtual stuff we ate last year, right? <laughs> I mean, wow, uh, so much better. And uh, just being here, and I remember Good Friday. Uh, Scott and Paul and I were right up here on the platform and all virtual and then Easter Sunday morning it was just the weirdest thing to be here all alone Um, I'm so happy that we can be together today to celebrate Jesus resurrection from the dead that's an amazing thing folks I don't want to forget it later on, so I'm going to mention it now. I just want you to continue to pray for Dale and Dolores Lindholm. Uh, Dolores is now in Abington Manor. Uh, Dale is still in the hospital and not well. He is uh, experiencing severe, significant, I think Ron's words were unabated pain, and uh, don't seem to be able to be able to determine a a reason. Uh, so be praying for him. Uh, he's not able to eat, and um, it's just a, a difficult time for him. And of course, um, as he does, he's w- with all of that pain, I'm sure, got his mind on his wife, and uh, that he's not able to be home taking care of her as well um, is eating at him. So you be praying for Dale. And Dolores, uh, throughout this week, we'll keep you updated via our email throughout the week. Well, it's Easter Sunday morning. We gathered this past Friday evening and afternoon, actually, to be reminded that Jesus was crucified. To be reminded that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins wow and uh, we celebrated the lord's supper together and we remembered christ's death but we celebrated what jesus did for us it was good friday and we left you at the cross we left you there because that's where good friday ended and as they took him down and buried him good friday the cross. Please open your Bibles with me to Luke 23. Luke 23. And um, we are not going to uh, re 
preach or teach the cross this, as far as the death of Christ on the cross. We're certainly, it's at the heart of all that we're going to be sharing this morning. But as we look back to verses 48 and 49 from Luke chapter 23, uh, we read, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight, there it is, of Jesus on the cross, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Couldn't believe it. Verse 49, but all those who knew him, Jesus, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Folks, I cannot describe for you the unbelief, the horror that the followers of Jesus witnessed, that they experienced. It wasn't just what they saw but it's thinking through, understanding that they believed Jesus had come to rule and to reign, that he'd come to deliver them. And here he was dying on the cross. How could this be? Verse 53, uh, we know that Joseph of Arimathea had gone to ask Pilate for Jesus' body. And we read in verse 53, uh, then he, Joseph, took it down wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. Why? Because they planned to come back on, Friday, on Sunday morning. What does that say to you? They expected him to be in the grave. Let's go on. Chapter 24, verse 1. And Scott read through this and challenged us with this text this morning of the resurrection at our sunrise service. But verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why? Because they thought, they believed Jesus was in the tomb. Now, you and I would easily think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What? Jesus was supposed to rise again. He said he would. Why would they go to the tomb? Well, we go on. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Woohoo! But they entered. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Instead, there were two men, two angels. In verse 5, they said to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? What? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The women have to be baffled. <laughs> well, he was buried. You want to go, Hello? I'm not sure we'd have been any different, folks. And then we read verse 6. He is not here. Why? Because he has risen. Huh? Hallelujah. Folks, that story never changed. From year to year, it's the same. 
You know, it's just like we talk about Christmas and the birth of Jesus. It's the same thing every Christmas, right? Amen! But so is Easter. The resurrection happened again. Not again, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus died. We remember that. And he rose again, and that truth is still real. I hope it's still real in your heart. Wow. Easter Sunday, the resurrection. And now down to verse 13. And here's the text that we're going to look at down through verses 35. Um, And we read, starting at verse 13, Now that same day, two of them... Two disciples, two followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That would be like from here to Arby's, right? If you, if you want to know, if you want to walk that sometime, seven miles, just leave here from the parking lot and walk down through the gap, the notch in Chinchilla, down the Scranton Expressway to Arby's, and that'll be about that distance to Emmaus. That's what it was for them. And so they walked that road, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were headed home that Easter afternoon. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened that day. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Wow, that must have been something. I mean, the two disciples, we don't know who they were. We'll, we'll meet one of them here in just a minute. But the, we really, they're unknown disciples, unknown followers. And, and as they were walking together, they talked and discussed what had been going on. Probably were thinking about the crucifixion. Certainly they were talking about the resurrection. It was on their minds And and we find that out because that's what, as Jesus asked, we see it was a pretty intense discussion. It was strong debate really is what's involved in that word. It wasn't just a casual conversation. There was emotion in the lives of these two disciples, two followers. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, joined them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And that was God's intention for the time being, for that moment. But then verse 17, um, he, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Jesus stopped them in their tracks. What are you talking about? And as they were walking along, they just stopped. And we're told that uh, Cleopas, is the one named. We don't know the other one. Many think it might have been Luke who's writing this letter that we're reading. Some think it might have been Cleopas' wife. We don't know. But there are two followers of Jesus, two disciples, and they stop and Cleopas says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? It's like, what? You don't know what's happened? What else would we be talking about? Luke 19. What things? Jesus responded, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20. The chief priests 
the Jews, the chief priests, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. They nailed him to the cross. And then he goes on, verse 21, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's what they thought, that's what they wanted, that's what they'd hoped, that's what they'd believed. Obviously, that's not what they're expressing they believe happened. Because we had hoped this is, and and in their minds at that moment, that's not what had taken place. Well, the followers of Jesus so wanted him to overthrow the Roman government, to set up his kingdom right there in Jerusalem. They were so hoping for Jesus to do that. They so thought. That, they, that this is what should happen. They had lost hope. Why? How do we know that? Their faces were downcast, we're told. Because they were hoping for the wrong thing. Jesus did exactly what he came to the earth to do. Now these two disciples and others of the followers of Jesus didn't recognize at that point yet. You say, wait a minute, but the resurrection had happened. That's true. We'll see more about that in a minute. But they'd been hoping for the wrong thing. They'd been hoping that Jesus would overthrow the Roman government and set up his kingdom and life was just going to be all peaches and cream. That was their desire. That's not what happened. And so they thought something wrong had happened. They had no hope anymore. He was the Messiah and he did redeem Israel he provided salvation on the cross and he proved that he was the one who would save their people from their why because he resurrected from the dead now that's happened when they're talking to Jesus and when this Messiah redeemer savior did rise from the dead you see they didn't understand it the disciples the followers the very people that had been with Jesus for 3 years didn't understand what had happened they didn't recognize in a way they almost missed the resurrection think about it they almost missed it i mean we would think If we had heard that and three days later after Jesus was buried, he's going to rise from the dead, I would like to think we'd be waiting at the tomb. Maybe have our tents and sleeping bags and all camped out, ready to go. When's this going to happen? When's daybreak? What time is it going to happen? But Jesus is going to rise from the dead. But that's not what it was. All the followers went to the grave because they expected him to be in the grave the grave still dead still buried but that's not what they found you see they had missed what god had told them in the scriptures we just heard on that video you know if nothing else had happened we have the truth right here and the disciples the followers of jesus missed what they had been told when Jesus was with them for those three years on the earth. Look at verse 21. 
the end of verse 20, and what is more, you know, we'd hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In other words, the implication, they knew something about the three days because Jesus had told them they got that. And so they thought something should have happened three days later. It's the third day since this took place. Verse 22, in addition, in addition, more, more evidence, more Truth to think about, more activities, more events. He says, this is an, and it, what is more, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. They'd heard that. Now, it sounds like real good here, and it is, but... But we got to go back a few verses to the beginning of chapter 24 again. Because yes, when they say the women came with some amazing news and they had seen the angels and, and said that he was alive. But, but here's, go back. This is how the response really was. If you'll go back in, in, in verses to verse 9. When they came back, chapter 24, back to verse 9. When they came back, the women from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. What's the eleven? Right, the disciples, the apostles, minus Judas Iscariot, right, who'd betrayed, who was now dead. But, but the eleven and to all the others, there were more. These two, Cleopas and whoever else was with them, they were there. And, and, and what we read is, we're told who they were, the women, verse 11, but they did not believe. They did not believe. What? Look, they didn't believe, we're told there, what the women said because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up where they were gathered together, where the women had come, and, and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Do you realize that the very first skeptics of Jesus' resurrection were his own disciples? Those who followed him, the very first skeptics. And the skepticism has never stopped. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 9. John chapter 20 and verse 9. And here's what John recorded. And let me just say, folks, as you're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and looking at the Easter story and you think that there's contradictions, the stories are different. No, they're, they're, they're not. Yes, they're different, but it's the same story. Why? Because four individuals are writing about it. Just like if we saw a car wreck out in front of the church later on this morning and, and we picked out four people to describe what they saw there would be similarities, but there would be big differences. Everybody, would, they would focus on something different. How many police cars were there? Well, I saw one, but maybe there were three, but I only saw one. That's all I need to talk about. How many, how many cars were involved? Well, I don't know. There were at least two. Maybe there were three. 
You see, it's not contradiction, it's just talking about things differently. And that's what we have here, chapter 20 and verse 9, we read this, They, the disciples, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. That's, that's resurrection day. That's the first Easter morning. They, the disciples, did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Wow. Back to Luke chapter 24, down to verse 25. And Jesus said to them, now remember, Jesus is walking along with them. They'd stopped. But here now, verse 25, Jesus hears all that Cleopas and the other disciple have to say. And he said to them, verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wow, that's quite a condemning thing to say. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, he's referring to the scriptures, the prophets. Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Why would he say did not? Well, why? They should have known that from knowing the scriptures. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He told them Jesus had said what was going to happen. That's not the first time they heard it, but this time he goes through. How'd you love to sit and have Jesus tell you all of what was going to happen because it was in scripture? Man, that would have been, whoa. That would have been something. Huh? Jesus teaching. Wow. And that's what happens. But think about it. how foolish the idea is not marked by use of reason. They weren't thinking, not applying the mind. Senseless. Actually, in the Old Testament, if you were to read through Proverbs and other references to fool in the Old Testament is a person who does not allow the scriptures to influence their thinking. A fool is one who does not allow the scriptures to influence their thinking. Now, you could go to Matthew chapter 7, and, and when we talk about the wise man and the foolish man, we've mentioned him in our study of Corinthians, those two, that story, and the wise and the foolish. But the foolish there was exactly that, knew the truth, but did not allow it to affect his thinking. Knew that he shouldn't have built that house in the sand, but did it anyway. Slow to believe, slow to learn, slow to understand, slow to react to the truth. Inactive in mind, slow of heart. What was really going on here is they didn't want to believe. Slow to, they, they just didn't want to believe. Didn't want to accept, didn't want that truth. All that was said in the scriptures, Moses and the prophets. God had made his plan clear in the Bible. They refused to allow it to influence their thinking. How about us? We have so many opportunities and places and ways to read the Word of God. And many times pride ourselves in all that we know, but do we allow it to affect our thinking and thus our living? These disciples didn't. Jesus had been the one that taught them. He was reteaching them here. And he calls them fools and slow of heart to believe. 
Jesus was basically saying, you missed it. You missed it. Have you ever felt like when God does something, you've, you, you've been in church for years, maybe, maybe not many years, maybe many years, and you've heard truth, but you missed it. They had heard this before and just didn't believe it, and Jesus was rebuking them for not believing. It was an exclamation of strong emotion that Jesus was, was calling them out, a missed opportunity. They'd lost hope, and if they'd believed the Scriptures, they would not have experienced confusion. They would not have been in the state of heart and mind in which Jesus found them. They would have been confident. They would have been alive and excited because Jesus was alive. Look at verse 28. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, and he was now going to eat them, that, or eat, eat food together, eat with them, there we go. And, and, and this is why I think maybe it was Cleopas' wife, why? Because food was ready. Right, men? When I come upstairs, you know, into the kitchen at around noon, Jane looks at me sometimes and goes, yes. <laughs> well, it, it's lunchtime. Okay, yeah. Are you saying you want something to eat? And, and she has told me that she thinks I'm helpless. I am, you know, I... I'm not. I can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, absolutely. But, uh, but here, all right, so he was at the table, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. What does that sound like? It could sound like the feeding of the 4,000. It could sound like the feeding of the 5,000. It could sound like the Last Supper, right? Passover. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'm sure they were. Wow. To be walking with Jesus as he explains the scriptures. Wow. That had to be an amazing thing. Were not our hearts burning within us? Have you ever had that as you read the Word of God? You come across new truth or just truth and you're reminded in a fresh new way. I hope that's what this Easter Sunday morning, we're reminded in a fresh new way of what Jesus did for us. And that he did everything he said he would do to provide forgiveness for our sin. Well, when all of this is going on, it's like, wow. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Listen, these guys were now, or man and woman, whoever, were now so pumped. They had to immediately go back to Jerusalem. Go back that two to two and a half hours. Get down to Arby's and turn around and get right back up here to the church. Why? Because they had to tell the other disciples. They had to let them know what had just happened. Listen, folks, when we have a, a, an encounter with Jesus and his word, when we're reminded of the truths and it burns within our heart and we're like, man, I can't keep that to myself. 
There are times when I'm studying during the week and, and it's like, man, I got to tell somebody. And if I'm studying at home, I'm like, sometimes I walk up and, Jane, you got to hear this. Or I walk out into the office and I'm, I start preaching my message. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But that's what the truth of God's word does when you get fired up and it burns with it. What, what does that mean? You got to get it out. You got to tell somebody about what you've just seen and heard. And that's where they were. They had. So they got back. They found the 11, verse 33. And, with, and those with them, again, it wasn't just the 11, but other followers of Jesus, other disciples. Verse 34, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Isn't that cool? That account we have nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We have back in Luke, we saw it in verse 12 where Peter got up, ran ahead, and, and after it was all over, we're told that he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Peter hadn't seen the risen Lord yet. He was wondering what had happened. But here we're told in verse 34 that Jesus, the Lord, has risen and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. When did that happen? We don't know, but you know what? Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he's listing off all of the witnesses, the people who saw the resurrected Jesus. Peter is listed as one of them. And here it is. God somewhere in that time from the morning when Jesus, that early morning hours to the supper hour, evening hour, somewhere in between there. We don't have any record of it in Scripture, but Jesus had appeared to Peter. Wow. It's true, he says. The Lord has risen. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had rec was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, it was that experience at the table. Now, again, God opened their eyes, but he used that familiar time of eating with Jesus to open their eyes. Man, oh man. They couldn't contain themselves because it was true the Lord had risen. So now what's the point? You see, this story, this, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and their discussion and their mealtime with Jesus, it's the only place in the scriptures that we're told. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have many similarities as they talk about the crucifixion, the trials beforehand, and the crucifixion, and then the burial and the resurrection, and, and they all tell it in different ways. Why only Luke talking about Emmaus? Well, we, we don't know exactly, but it's here, and, and it's obviously here for a reason. God put it in our Bible. What's the point? Why is Luke the only one to give us this account of one of Jesus' resurrection appearances? I think that's it. What was it that God wanted us to know? Well, first and foremost, God wanted us to know, wants us to know that Jesus has risen. That he is alive. Jesus isn't in the tomb. And though they all thought that he would be there, they didn't understand what they'd heard. It didn't make sense. They were, that's why Jesus called them fools. Slow to understand and learn. That's why, because they didn't get it. But Jesus wants you and I to know that he's risen, that he's alive, despite what the skeptics may say today. And with more proof than ever, I, I, love, 
the fact of the matter is, there is more evidence. There is more solid, historical, factual evidence for the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for any of Roman history. Than for the existence of Julius Caesar. We never question that. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is alive. He makes it clear. He did rise from the dead like he said he would. One of the main proofs that the resurrection account is, is a, that it's a credible account. Think about this. is the realization that the first century church would never have created a story whose main first witnesses were women. No offense, ladies, here today. It's just the culture. It wouldn't, and, and that's why back in, in verses 9, 10, and 11 of Luke 24, that's why when the women came back from the grave, and it's that they didn't believe it. Luke, I love the Bible. It's just flat out honest. Luke says right then and there, no, but they did not believe the women. Yeah, for there were women, but also just because they couldn't believe what had happened. They couldn't believe that, even though they knew the word. And that brings us to the second point. See, the fact of the matter that Jesus is alive should change everything about us. Everything. And if you don't know Jesus today and you're sitting here without Jesus, without the, knowing the, the guarantee of eternal life when your life on this earth ends, knowing that your sin can be forgiven but only by Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his shed blood, that's the only way your sin can be forgiven. That's the only way you can be made right with God and escape his wrath in hell. And if you're here today, you need Jesus. And this truth can change your life. For those of us who know Jesus, it ought to change everything about how we live our lives, huh? And maybe Easter Monday, that's what we call the day after Easter, right? Tomorrow. Maybe while it's still fresh in our mind, we think about it differently. But what about Easter Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? What about the rest of April and May and June? You see, because the second point here is, Jesus also wants us to know that when the Bible says it, we better believe it. Not only believe it, but do what it says. See, that's what Jesus said. You guys knew this truth. You'd been taught the truth. You had the scriptures. You had Moses and the prophets. You had the scriptures. You, you knew what was there. You'd heard it in the temple. You'd heard it in the synagogues. Jesus had taught a number of them numerous times. And they didn't get it. They missed it. When the Bible says it, we better believe it and then do what it says. How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the Bible says about Jesus. Do you believe the Bible today, folks? Do you believe it's without error? We use the theological word infallible, without any mistakes, authentic completely accurate, absolutely reliable, 
no contradictions, no nothing. I love it how that every time people set out to try to find mistakes, they only end up trusting Christ. Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, many others who have set out to, who were unbelievers prior to their study, set out to disprove the scripture and only came to know Jesus because that's the power of the living word of God. And when we believe that, we have to let it change our lives. And that's the third point. The Bible, God's truth, that's what it is. We sometimes think about this this book, this nebulous book, sometimes we just have in our minds, though we know it's not vague, sometimes, yeah, yeah, we talk about the Bible, we talk about God's word, but folks, this is a living word. This is God's words to us. This isn't like any other book that's ever been written on the face of this earth, never will be. And this truth changes our lives. It is alive. It is living, and the power of the Spirit of God uses this truth in our hearts to make us more like what we ought to be. We say, to be more like Jesus, it's this truth that will change us. And when we say we believe it and don't do it, we got a major problem. But we have believers all over the place who say, well, I know it's in the Bible, but... You ever found yourself saying that? Don't shake your head. Yeah, I know. That it is what God says. That's what the Bible tells us. But, but what? You see, the Bible contains everything we need to know to live a meaningful life. Do you sometimes wonder why we're missing what meaning and purpose and God's will for us for life, a meaningful life? Do you ever find yourself going through the motions? Do you ever find yourself, you get up in the morning, you eat breakfast, you go through the day, you go to work, you go to school, you do whatever you do, uh, you, you, whatever, you go to lunch, you do the same thing, back at it, and, and, then, and then the day is over, I have supper, and, and you sit around at night doing whatever you do, and then you go to bed, and then you do it all over again the next day. Is that a meaningful life? Not without Jesus, not without his truth. Lived out, applied. And I think that's what Jesus, that's why he was saying to those two, listen, <laughs> how foolish and how slow to believe you are. Wow. Listen to me, without God's word and the truth, the life changing, life-transforming truth that he's given to us. Your life, my life, will never, ever, ever be all that God wants it to be. Won't. Why do we have it? Just to take up place on our bookshelves or coffee tables or bedstand or kitchen table or wherever? Or the coat rack out here in the foyer? always surprises me how many times we find Bibles out there. I'm like, wait a minute. And anybody, well, problem part of that is that we probably have four or five or six of them laying around, right? Which is a good thing, as long as we read it and use it. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scriptures, that ring a bell? Now, this is even more scripture than what? 
Jesus that they would have had then or that even, even to the people that Paul was writing to then. What we have today, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we can live a transformed, meaningful life for the glory of God. And I have one more for you, the fourth one. Fourth point, fourth reason that it's here. Jesus has risen. Did I say that before? Yeah, that was the first one, right? Because you know what? If Jesus hadn't risen, this wouldn't matter. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we, we wouldn't be meeting here. We wouldn't have this book that we would, we wouldn't, if, I don't know how we would have it, but it wouldn't mean anything. Because if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, there'd be nothing to believe. He would have been just some, like so many individual, so self-proclaimed messiahs in our world today over the last how many ever years who claim to be, you know, worship me, follow me, and, and, and I'll take you great places, do great things, and then they're dead and gone, and that's the end of it. But Jesus has risen. Because if he hadn't, none of this matters. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. See, if you knew an individual who predicted that he would die on the cross and come back to life and then pulled it off, then did exactly what he said he was going to do, he'd be the one we ought to follow. And folks, there's no other one but Jesus. Jesus said he would go to the cross. He said he would suffer. He said he would die. He said he would be buried. He said he would rise again. And he did that all so our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be made righteous before God, so that we could have a relationship with the holy, perfect creator, God in heaven. And Jesus did exactly that. And when we believe, he will change, he will transform our lives completely. So let me ask you as we wrap this up, are you living your life as if the Bible does contain everything you need to know in order to live a meaningful life? Are you living that way? Are you living in light of a living Savior, a resurrected Jesus? The Bible says Jesus is alive. How much influence does God's word have in your life? I didn't ask you how many verses you could quote or how many times you'd read through the Bible or if you have your devotions every day. That's all good stuff. I asked you how much influence does the Bible have in your life? Jesus is alive. Let's live as if we believe that that is true. Father, thank you for Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for sending him to this earth to die 
so that we could be made right with you. So that we could know you as our Father. Father, help us to live with the reality of a living Savior, Jesus, dwelling within us. And like those two disciples, when they realized who they'd been talking to and what had happened, they couldn't contain themselves. God, help us to spread the word every chance we get, not out of guilt, not out of pressure, not because we have to, but because we can't help it. Oh, God, thank you for bringing Jesus back from the dead. And if there are any here today who don't know Jesus, who have never trusted him and him alone for the forgiveness of their sin, oh God, I pray that you would stir their hearts right now, that they would take care of that before they leave this building today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.